Good morning. Good to be with you guys. Uh, obviously, as Greg shared, we can tell that God has had a heart uh, for Nineveh for a very, very long time. And, uh, and we've been picking up the story uh, in the book of Jonah. A couple thousand years ago, God had a heart excuse me, for the, for the people there at that time as well. And so God had called a, a prophet named Jonah to go to Nineveh to talk about, uh, to, to invite them to change. He, he, God wanted to have compassion on them, uh, but he was going to give them a warning. And he called uh, Jonah to go there. And just so you guys know, uh, Nineveh at that time uh, was known for being very, very, very violent. Um, so it was part of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, and the people there were incredibly violent. In fact, one of the things that they were known for and I'm sorry if this is incredibly graphic, but one of the things they were known for was keeping a human being alive while they skinned the human being. So this was uh, the type of city that Jonah was called to, to say, hey, you've got to change your ways and turn around and go the other direction or else God's judgment is going to come on you. Um, and you have 40 days to change your heart and your mind. Um, and so this is the, the call that Jonah had. Uh, so Jonah brings this prophetic ministry to those people. How many of you guys have people in your life that you refer to as those people? them. God says, Jonah, I want you to go to those people. I want you to go to them. I want you to go to those people that you and your friends talk about that you're afraid of, that, uh, you know, your imaginations run wild when you talk about them. And, uh, and Jonah doesn't want to go. In fact, we talked about last week how Jonah was, was a runaway. And just to give you a little bit of a picture of how intent Jonah was on running away, uh, we can see that Jonah was called to go to Nineveh, uh, and it was 550 miles from the port of Joppa, which he left from, uh, and he decided to go to Tarshish, which is 2,500 miles away from where he was. Uh, And so he was not just trying to run away. He was trying to get as far away as he possibly could from the will of God. And that's what we talked about last week, that God doesn't run away from runaways. You can run away from God, You can try, but you're not going to outrun God. Uh, This is the story of Jonah. And so Tarshish represents basically the extent, the furthest destination in the known world at Jonah's time. And so in Jonah's mind, he's like, God, you're calling me to those people. You're calling me to them, and I don't want to go to them. In fact, I'm so intent on not going to them, I'm going to go as far away as I can possibly imagine from the call that you have on my life. So Jonah goes. He's intent on going 2,500 miles to the edge of the, wor- the, the earth, literally. And he experiences something that the psalmist, uh, that, that David, the psalmist, talks about in, in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And so Jonah finds himself in the middle of the sea somewhere on this destination to run as far away from God as he could. And he finds out that he can't run away from God. In fact, as he prayed in the belly of the fish, as we talked about last week, the language that he uses is the language of Sheol, the language of hell. And, and Jonah has this experience where he is in the depths of the worst place, the most evil place he can imagine, and he finds God's presence there. And so if you're here this morning, I don't know your story. I don't know what you're running from. We're all running from something at some point in our lives, but you can't run away from God. God's grace is there. And here's the truth. There's no place you can run 
that is so far that God's love cannot reach you. How many of you have experienced that? Can I get an amen on that? That there's nowhere that you can run that is so far away that God's love can't reach you. Amen? It's the phenomenal message of the good news of Jesus, that he came for all people, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God came for all people. So that means you can't run away from God. And we say, amen, amen, amen. And here, but here, here's the second truth. Are you ready for the second one? There is nothing that no one else can do that is so far gone that God's love cannot reach them. Even those people I don't know who those people are for you. But if it's true that you can't outrun God, if it's true that there's nothing that you've ever done that could, uh, that could disqualify you from the grace of God, if it's true that there's nothing in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God, if it's true for you, it's true for them. If it's true for you, it's true for them. And so Jonah is called... And Jonah isn't running away from God. He's actually running away from his calling. And as we read last week, at this point in his calling, it says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Now, the word provided, that's an interesting word, right? Um, I don't think Jonah would have in that moment thought that this was his provision, that this was God's provision. I don't think he was sitting there in the belly of the gastric acid in the middle of the whale thinking, Oh, Lord, I'm so thankful for this moment, thank you for bringing here. I don't think that Jonah thought that this was provision at the time. I don't think that Jonah was sitting in the belly of the whale in the midst of that stomach acid writing the book of Jonah. Let's just think about this for a second, though. We have the book of Jonah. He obviously wrote the book of Jonah after he was in the belly of the whale, yes? He didn't write it in the belly of the whale. He didn't write it on the ship. He didn't write it in chapter 3, in chapter 4. Jonah after the fact, in the rearview mirror, looks back and he says, God actually provided for me. What was God's provision at the time, I didn't see it as God's provision. Perspective actually comes from reflection. We often don't see the hand of God in our lives until we're going down the road and we look in the rearview mirror and we say, I can actually look back and see that God had been providing and leading me all the way along. Jonah needed some XP to see that. Now, some of you don't know what XP is. How many of you guys know what XP is? Experience points. We got any gamers in here? Jonah needs some experience points. And so if you're into video games or certain games you play, and the longer you play, the more experience points you get, and then you can level up. Can I get level? Can you guys say level up? Level up. All right. I got some teens in the house now this morning. Level up. So Jonah needed some experience points. And video games, by the way, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of games that you play where you can fast track your experience points and you can pay money instead of spending time playing the game. You know that? Um, in fact, one time, sorry, little rabbit trail here, but one time uh, when my son Joel was really, really young uh, and we downloaded a game from him, we, we had paid for this, this game for him to play. Uh, and back in the day, the... Uh, your credit card that you used to download the game was, you know, that, 
that pathway, the portal stayed open uh, for a little bit of time. I think it was like a 20-minute window. Uh, and Joel was playing this game, the Smurf game. I remember it was called Smurf. And then the games, you had to acquire Smurf berries in this t- time. And he didn't want to take the time to acquire the Smurf berries. And so he purchased as many Smurf berries as he could possibly purchase in that 20-minute window where my credit card was still active. And I got a bill uh, the next month that had $100 spent in Murph or in Smurf games. Uh, fast-tracking experience. Anyways, in real life, in real life, you cannot fast-track experience. Sometimes God's hand is at work in your life and my life, and we don't see it. We're in the moment. We don't see it. This week, we don't see it. Next month, we don't see it. But years and years go by, and we look back, and we can say, God provided for me. In fact, this word provided is the word manna. Can everybody say manna? Just word remind you of anything? If you're familiar with the, with the biblical story in the Old Testament, the, the Israelites, they were called on to mission to go into the promised land. They were, God rescued them and saved them out of the, the land of Egypt where they were slaves and they entered into the wilderness for 40 years and God provided for them by giving them manna. This is the word from the Exodus story. And manna was this food that they would wake up to every single morning, and it was God's provision to them day by day by day throughout those years in the wilderness, the manna of God. Over time, if you read the story, you realize that the Israelites were disgruntled, they were grumbling, they were complaining, they didn't want to be in the desert anymore. In fact, they started longing for, for Egypt again. They, they, they said, it would be better if we were slaves. At least when we were slaves, life was pre- predictable. Even though we worked really, really hard, at least we were fed, at least we had a variety of different food. Um, we knew we had a shelter overhead here in the desert in the middle of nowhere. We don't, we, we don't know what's happening. And so they were complaining, even though the God was providing, but God was giving them manna. And God was preparing them for what he had for them next. Because God's provision is for your call, not for your comfort. Here's my sermon in one second this morning. God's provision is for your call, not for your comfort. Jonah would have been able to, wouldn't have been able to see this at the time when he was in the belly of the whale. But in the rearview mirror from the experience points of life, as he looked back on his life, what looked like God's judgment, which looked like the pit of hell, which looked like the space that he would never want to find himself in, he looks back and says, well, this was God's provision in my life. And sometimes we don't see God's provision in the moment because we've equated provision with comfort. We've equated provision with comfort. We think God hasn't provided if we're not comfortable. We think God hasn't provided if we're not where we would like to be. But in the rear of a mirror, Jonah actually sees God's provision in the places of discomfort because he starts to understand that God provided for him for a call, not for his comfort. And so Jonah, as we read last week, surrenders in the belly of the whale. He decides to turn his heart back towards God, to say yes to God. And as he does that, it says, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the salvation of Jonah, this picture where he's in the depths of the sea. The fish vomits him onto dry land. He surrenders his heart, and God delivers him. God rescues him. God saves him. This is Jonah's new life. This is his new opportunity. And right after he's vomited onto dry land, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Everybody say second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message 
I give to you. Now here's a very, in my opinion, very, very important theological point for how we think about God, how we think about the Bible, that a lot of Christians miss as they read the Bible. There's an idea um, in the scripture around the idea of election that God chooses people. And for some reason, over time, many people have thought that this idea of election meant that God chooses people to be saved. Which, if you think about the flip side of that, it means that God chooses some people not to be saved and some people to be saved. And that's actually not the biblical concept of election at all. The biblical concept of election, of being chosen, is that God elects people and God chooses people. God pulls people out for a purpose and a call and a mission. That God's heart is for the world, for the nations, for every single person. And God calls individual people at individual points in time into that mission. This started with Abraham in Genesis 12 where God called Abraham and he chose him to be a blessing to the nations. God's call is always to be a blessing to the nations. God never blesses you except to make you a blessing. He never heals you except to make you a conduit of his healing. God's salvation is always so that you can bring salvation to other people. There's always a call and a purpose in the rescue of God. Uh, And the second way that Abraham was a blessing... That he had to, the second thing Abraham had to do in order to become a blessing, it says, go to the land I will show you. He had to get out of his current situation. He had to get out. Because the truth is, in order to be a blessing to other people, we have to get out. What do we have to get out of? Well, for Abraham, he had to get out away from his family, away from his culture, away from the nation that he was in. But all of us have to get out of our own comfort zones. All of us have to move where we're the center. Our comfort, our familiarity is the center of our world, and we have to get out of that. So God blesses us to be a blessing, and God calls us to get out of our comfort zones. Because God's provision is for your call, not for your comfort. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. And so here is the message that Jonah gets a second chance. The first chance he ran away. First chance he went as far away as he could possibly get, 2,500 miles. That was his goal. Now he gets a second chance after he gets delivered out of the belly of the whale. And God says, okay, I'm saving you for a purpose, for a call. And here's the satire of the message. The irony of the book of Jonah uh, is he's supposed to give this message to the Ninevites that if you run away from God's ways, you're going to be in trouble. If you run away from God's ways, you're going to be in trouble. And this is ironically Jonah's story. As he's running away from God's way, he finds himself in the storm and God delivers him. And he's the one who's running away and he's bringing this message ironically to the people of Nineveh. And then in Jonah 3 verse 4, it says that he, he began going into the city 40 more days. And he was saying this, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And so... Jonah's probably scared to death. Jonah probably can't wait for this day to happen. In 40 days, Nineveh's going to be destroyed. Nineveh's going to be judged. And he's not even halfway into the city, and he's not even proclaiming the full message that God told him to give. In fact, in the Hebrew language, the message that Jonah gives to the Ninevite people is only five words long. He can't even barely give the message. He can only give half the message, just the part about the judgment. He doesn't tell the whole message. He doesn't tell the testimony of what happened to him. And this is going to happen to you if you don't listen. He said, this is my story, but your, your, your ending can turn out like my ending. He doesn't give any of that. He just says, in 40 days, this, you know, things are not going to go well. 
Jonah is doing the absolute minimum of what he's been asked to do. And so the first time the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, he runs away. The second time the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and he gets a second chance, he kind of goes halfway. He doesn't even want to go the full direction. And then in Jonah 3, verse 5, it says, The Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now, sackcloth was like goat hairs that people put on, and they felt so terrible. It reminded them that uh, they made some terrible choices, and they should feel terrible at themselves. That's why people wore the sackcloth. Um, And so, uh, as you read this, this section of Jonah, we see that when Jonah gave this message of warning to the Ninevites... It reached the king of Nineveh, and Jonah was hoping, as we'll see later in the story, uh, that they would be stubborn, that they wouldn't repent. But the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, he took off all his royal robes, he covered himself with sackcloth, he sat down in the dust, and he took the position of humility, and he repented, and he called his nation to repent. Now we see the irony in the story is that Jonah is the stubborn guy who is reluctant to repent. He doesn't go the full way. He only goes halfway. And then he he's kind of brings this message to them, to those people, and they fully repent. And it says, when God saw this, saw what they did and how they turned from the evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. So for Jonah, this should have been like the best day of his prophetic preaching career. I mean, I said five words, a whole nation repented. Amazing. Not. Because for Jonah, these were those people. It says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. To Jonah... From Jonah's perspective, this didn't seem right. Jonah is so moral, he feels that he can tell God what is right. In Jonah's mind, he is more righteous than God. In in Jonah's perspective, this seemed wrong. This seemed unjust. And I think in the story of Jonah, we realize that we're in trouble when we think that we are either more just than God or more compassionate than God. I mean, often when I, when I, as a pastor, as I talk with people and their disappointments and their disillusionments with God, it's usually because they feel like God hasn't been just enough or they don't think that God is compassionate enough. And, and no matter where you find yourself, let me assure you that God is more just than you. That God cares about the evil and the injustice in this world more than you do. But let me also show you that God is more compassionate than you are. That there's people that you can't stand and that you in your heart feel like they're those people. That God's heart breaks for them. And so God ends up offending us often because of his justice and his compassion. And so what does Jonah do in verse 1 of uh, chapter 4? we see that it's one of the most profound things that we read in the whole book of Jonah. It says that this seemed wrong to Jonah and he became angry. And literally in the Hebrew language, it says he became evil with the evil that he saw. 
When he saw God refusing to be violent with those who were violent, he became violently angry. This is what the Hebrew is saying. There was a violent group of people. He wanted God to deal with them violently. And when God didn't deal with them violently, he then became violently angry. Jonah became like them. Jonah became like those people in his heart. And ironically, those people became soft in their hearts towards God. Jonah became like them, like those people, when he wasn't willing to forgive them. And we can see this in Jonah chapter 4, verse 5. He's outside of the city. He made himself a shelter outside of the city because he wanted to see what would happen. And he waited there to see what would happen to the city. What's, what's he outside of the city for? Well, he doesn't want to be in the city because he thinks destruction is on the city. He actually went into Nineveh, bought a big bag of popcorn, went outside the city, set up a tent, and started eating. And he's like, ah, this is going to be good. So he, he's waiting for the Sodom and Gomorrah thing to happen, that fireballs are going to come down from heaven. Everybody's going to die because those people deserve to die. And this isn't what happened. And he's upset. And it says that he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He says, I know, God, that you are compassionate. I know, God, that you are loving. And this is why I didn't want to go to Nineveh, because those people deserve to die. Jonah, in his morality, has actually turned into an angry person that wants others to die. And when he doesn't get his way, he wants to die. He says, now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then the the story takes this interesting turn. It says, the Lord provided a leafy plant. Everybody say provided. The Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade over his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. I like that word. Very happy. It's interesting. You pay attention to the, the emotions of Jonah. You know, the whole nation repents, gives their hearts to God, changes their way of living. And that makes Jonah angry. And God sends him this little plant that's over his head. And he's very happy. This is, this is great. And we see the word again, provided, manna. God provided the whale, and then God provided this plant. And this plant makes him happy. You know, I'm not much, of a, much for a green thumb, and plants don't make me very happy. In fact, if you go to my office, you'll see plants that are dying. But some people really, really love plants, and plants make them happy. And, you know, Jonah's one of these people. And so he's under the shade of the plant in the heat of the day, and he's happy. He's not angry anymore. Uh, you know, he was, you know, you see these mood swings. He's completely angry, wants to die, and now he's happy. And then look at what it says next. It says, but at dawn the next day, the God, everybody say, provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. Manna. So God provides the whale. God provides the plant in which Jonah finds much happiness. And then God provides... So remember, this is Jonah looking back on his life in the rearview mirror after the experiences of life, and he says, God provided a worm which ate the plant. 
Now, doesn't God care about Jonah's happiness? I mean, the one moment in the whole story where Jonah's actually happy and God had to take it away. And we realize in the book of Jonah, and we realize throughout our life when we start paying attention that God actually cares less about our happiness than we do. God cares more about our purpose and our calling than our happiness. Now, now sometimes I tell stories that make me look like a terrible human being, but I'm going to risk it. Um, When my son, Silas, was younger, not like really, really young, but like growing up and becoming more than young, um, he loved his soother. You know, when he was a baby, he loved the soother. We loved it that he loved the soother. Um, you know, our other kids didn't take to soothers quite as much, but for whatever reason, Sai si would cry. We'd throw that soother in his mouth, and he'd be quiet, and it was amazing. It made him so happy. And so life goes on, and he's got the soother, and it makes him happy, and he's getting a little bit bigger, and it's still making him happy. And you're kind of getting to this point of like, you know, you're kind of growing out of that soother stage, uh, your friends are going to start tweeting about you saying, hey, check out this guy. He, 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 you're going to get thrown under the bus. You know, going to kindergarten with a soother. No, it wasn't quite that age. But uh, So he had that soother way too long, and I just had this, I had this great idea. I, I, I said to Lisa, I was like, watch this. Uh, now, unfortunately, this was the days before everybody recorded their lives on their phones. And I, you know, have you ever had those moments where you're like, I wish I had that video? Anybody have those? Okay, this is one of those, like, I wish I had a video moments. Um, and so I said to Lisa, watch this. And, and I remember exactly where we were at the bottom of our staircase in her house. And Cy was coming down and he had a soother in his mouth. And I, t- I took the soother out of his mouth. And I looked him in the eyes. And I pulled out a pair of scissors. Looking him in the eyes. And I went like, I snipped him. And the reaction. Like, I, I am not kidding you. He, he hurled himself on the floor. He was, he was hyperventilating. He was, he was having such a hard time dreaming. Like, as I cut that soother, it was like his very life was being taken away from him. And, and I went from like, this is going to be great, to my, oh my goodness, what do we do? He's dying. Uh, it was horrific. Um, but afterwards, I looked back, experience points. I was like, that was amazing. I wish uh, I, wish I had that video. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful picture when I, when I went through it, this powerful image that I had. But this is what happens for us all the time. You know, we just maybe grow a little bit more accustomed to not throwing hissy fit and throwing ourselves on the floor. Uh, but we have things that we use to soothe ourselves, to comfort ourselves. And some, somehow we start to think that this is the most important thing in our lives. To be comforted. To be soothed. In fact, we think that God's goal in our life is to comfort us and to soothe us and to make our lives happy. Somehow we've bought into this idea, and I'm using the general we as a Western church. We've bought into this idea that God's main goal in our lives is to make us happy and comfortable and to soothe us. Friends, this is not the gospel of Jesus. This is not the good news of Jesus. This is not the call of God. God's motive in our lives is not to make us happy and comfortable. And I think there are times in our lives where God sends a worm. There's times in our lives where God shows up with scissors. And he says, he says to the Holy Spirit and to Jesus, hey, watch this. 
get your videos out. This is going to be good. And he cuts it in front of us, and we think our life is ending. But he does that as a wise father because he did not come down to earth, die on a cross, raise three days later, save us just to make us comfortable. God's provision is for your call, not for your comfort. God never promises happiness. You can read your whole Bible front to back. He never promises happiness. He promises that we'll experience hardship. He promises blessedness, which is, regardless of circumstance, a deep joy that cannot be bought or stolen. A deep joy is that it is not dependent on whether we have much or little, but he never promises us happiness. So God's provision is always for a call, never for a comfort. And when we, when we forget that, don't be surprised when God challenges those things that we have made central. So after the worm, it says, then the sun rose. So the worm takes away this plant. The sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head. So Jonah must have been bald. Um, blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die again and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Everybody say provided. The manna of God. God's provision. So after the worm... God sends the wind. Jonah's upset. He wants to die. He's pointing the finger at God. Same word, the provision of God, because God's provision is for Jonah's call, not for his comfort. And so Jonah's upset again, mood swing again. He's so disappointed with God. He just wants to die. And this is the irony of the book of Jonah. And then God says to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell the right hand from their left hand? And also so many animals. So for you animal lovers in there, they get thrown in. Uh, Nineveh was the biggest city in the known world at that time. God says, you cared about this little plant that's only been there for a few seconds and it made you so happy. And you didn't even do anything to deserve that plant. Yet there are 120,000 people that don't know the left hand from the right hand, that don't know the love of God, that don't know the good news of God, that don't know me and my compassion and my love. They don't know the the standards in which I've called them to live that are going to make their lives more fruitful and fulfilling. They don't know these things. How can you be so upset about a plant and have no compassion for 120,000 people that don't know their left hand from the right hand? Is it possible that God is saying to us, How can you find so much happiness in a little plant, in your little comforts, in your soothers, in the things that you put into your lives 
to make you safe and comfortable and happy? How can it be that you find so much happiness in that, yet you have so little concern for the people around you, the thousands, hundreds of thousands of people around you that don't know their left hand from the right hand? Don't you understand that the things that I provided for you were for your call, not for your comfort? And when we look at the story of Jonah through the lens of God's provision, we see that there's four things that God's provided, a whale, a plant, a worm, and a wood. In the wind, sorry. Worm in the wind. Now, Jonah could look back in the rearview mirror and say, I can see God's hand directing me towards my calling, my purpose, the reason that he sent me. I can see it now in the rearview mirror. I couldn't see it or notice it at the time, but now I see it as the provision of God, the hand of God. And by my count, when I, when I count the whale, the plant, the worm, and the wind, I count one of those things that Jonah found comfort in. Yes? One out of the four was something Jonah found comfort in. Three out of the four made Jonah angry, made Jonah upset, made Jonah shake his fist at God. Three out of the four, most of us wouldn't say this is the provision of God because we've equated provision with comfort. But when we change our perspective, we realize that God has a call on our lives, that God cares more about your call than your happiness. Even the things in the darkest moments of our lives become things that prepare us for the call of God on our lives. In fact, there's a passage in Romans 8.28, and we've heard it talked about many times, or maybe you've heard it referenced many times. It says, and we know that in all things, everybody say all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. What a powerful verse that talks about the sovereignty of God, how God, in his wisdom and his sovereignty, can work things out in our world for good. But there's something about this verse that's always kind of got, kind of <laughs> bothered me. It says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And so we can actually read this verse and think that God is working all things together for my good, and we equate good with comfort, and then we are back to where we started, and we think, hey, God is working everything together in this world for my happiness and my joy and my comfort. You see how we get there? That's not what the verse is saying. In fact, this is actually one of the hardest verses to translate in the New Testament. Uh, New Testament scholar Tim Keller, or uh, Tim Gettert, sorry, says that it should be translated this way. We know that God is working for good in all situations together with those who love God, with those who are called according to God's purpose. When we read the verse in this way, when we read the story of Jonah, when we read the story of the Gospels and the disciples, we recognize that God never promises that everything works out for me and my personal happiness. Instead, we're challenged to be God's co-workers and recognize that God is working together for the good of everyone in the world, including those people, including them. And God has called me, like he's called Jonah, to be a co-partner with him so that people would know that he loves them, so people would know the compassion of God, the grace of God, that people would know, like Jonah came to know, that there's nowhere that he could run that God couldn't get to. That is God's call on our lives. Our good is actually wrapped up in the purposes of God. Our good is found in God's ends. We are not an end in and of ourselves. As a follower of Jesus, 
I, you, we are called to those people, to them. And maybe for us, you know, we don't have a group like the Ninevites who, you know, are skinning people and God saying, hey, I want you to go there. Um, But let's be honest, we look at the news these days and those people, whoever they are, it's not that far. It's not that different. I don't think our world's any less violent today than it was then. I think the people of God, just like Jonah today, are looking for God and saying, God, where's the justice? And something we see as we read the scriptures is that God calls us to trust him with justice. God calls us to trust him with justice. Our call, our job is actually to be obedient to the call that God has on our lives, which is to proclaim, to invite people to experience the love and the grace of God, to turn around. This is the story of Jonah's life. This is the story of Nineveh, to turn around, to repent, to experience the goodness and grace and compassion of God, to warn people, if you keep going in this direction, it's not going to end well for you. It's not going to end well for others, but there's a God who saves. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you're gone. God's love and grace is there. After Jonah's heart was transformed, in the rearview mirror, he could look back and say, God provided for me. That was a really unfortunate period of my life, and a lot of bad things happened. And it, you know, so bad that you know, it's a story that got retold for, for generations. Uh, but I can look back with experience and say, God provided for me. In the whale that I thought was my end, God provided. God provided for me. In that little plant. And I realized that he provided for me not because he gave me a plant, but because he showed me that I was putting too much value and happiness into that little thing. And he provided for me by eliminating the plant with a worm. He provided for me when he sent that wind He provided for me in all the uncomfortable moments of my life because it took my eyes off myself and put my eyes back on him. And I realized that God provides for my call, not for my comfort. Would we have the same epiphany as Jonah? That would be my prayer. Some of you are here this morning hoping that God would provide for you and in your mind you have, a, you have this idea of comfort that you're chasing, a happiness that you're chasing, this plant that maybe you want. Uh, but God's provision is never just for your happiness, but for your call. And there's 120,000 plus people around us that don't know their left hand from the right hand. And that's the reason that God puts you and me here. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of compassion. Lord, we can thank you for that because if it weren't for that, we wouldn't be here. But Lord, may we come to a deep understanding that if those things are true for us, that you love us no matter what, those things are also true for them. Lord, may we be your co-workers and partners to bring your message, your love, your grace, your redemption, your warning to a world that doesn't know their left hand from their right hand. Lord, may we not confuse comfort and calling. 
Lord, we thank you even for the worms in our life that seem to take away the things that we love because they remind us that ultimately we need to seek first the kingdom of God and all those things will be added to us. But Lord, our role is to seek first your kingdom. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand with us as we close in song together. So when I used to do youth ministry, we had this thing called uh, wake up and smell the megaphone. And so what we would do at the beginning of every youth season, we would get parents to sign up their kids uh, that, uh, you know, for this event that would happen and they wouldn't know what week it would be, but we would show up uh, unknown to them at one ungodly hour in the morning, usually about 5 a.m. or 6 a.m., depending on what time the kid wakes up, uh, with video cameras, uh, a megaphone, and often other props, and we would bring, come in and, uh, and we would videotape it all, and we'd yell, we'd yell in their ear with a megaphone, we have a small megaphone! Uh, and then we'd get it all on tape, and then we would show it at youth every week. Uh, so every week it was like, who's it going to be this week? Uh, we even got Willie Reimer one time, I, we did it. Uh, Calvin Block, I saw Calvin here. Cal, we got you one time, right? Uh, their wives signed them up, so that was a good time. Uh, anyways, I, as I think about that, that phrase of pain is a megaphone. And I think we can go through life comfortably in our slumber, in our sleep, when everything's going really, really well. And then inevitably, and it might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, but at some point in our life, we hit the sea moment of chaos. And I believe that if we don't learn how to walk in a constant posture of humility and dependence on God, we will wait till moments of complete chaos till we turn to him. And I pray that that's not the case. Uh, you can turn to God at any moment, but I know that some of you in, the, in, your, in this room, you're going to walk out of here uh, and you're going to think, hey, that was a good sermon. Uh, but someday, some week, some year down the road, I want you to remember Jonah. No matter how far he went, in the depths of the sea, in the depths of hell, he turned to God and God was there in a moment. My prayer is that we would do that when we don't have to. But my encouragement for you when that point comes in your life and you're woken up from your slumber and pain is that megaphone, that discomfort is that megaphone, that you would release those idols and the things you depend on and in your state of helplessness that you would turn to God and I believe that you will find him faithful and gracious and he won't be far away. Uh, our prayer teams are available after the service. We'd love to pray for you. If there's anything you want prayer for, if you want to take that step of faith, cross that line of faith, and, and put your faith and trust in Jesus, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, maybe you want to, maybe you're coming back and you've been running like Jonah and you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back. Uh, we'd love to pray for you. If there's anything else, we would love to pray for you. Um, but let's pray together. Uh, one more time before you leave, Father, we just thank you again for what we just sang about. We thank you for the picture of the shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep because the one was running away and you chased that sheep down. And Lord, you were giving us a picture of what you were like. Lord, some of us are running. Some of us are sleeping. But your reckless covenant love doesn't give up. Lord, we are forever grateful. 
Lord, we thank you for the undeserved gift of grace. We thank you for your everlasting kindness. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, would you show us the idols in our lives that we cling to for help? And may we learn, Lord, to let those things go, as good as those things might be, that you might be the very source of our identity and our purpose. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, and thanks for coming. Uh, Have a great week. Thank you.